Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon, fueled by Guardian Games and Athletic Field Design. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your hosts, Ben and Dave. Welcome to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. We are back again at the mecca of baseball apparel and home to America's brand, baseballism. And this week is part two of our interview with Jonathan Joade of Baseballism, the co-founder. So Jonathan, welcome back yet again to a great episode. Thank you, thank you. You know, last episode we left off, you were in college, University of Oregon, you played club ball and talk about your managing it and kind of some lessons learned there and some things that you've brought forward in life. Now we're jumping in post-college. Where do we go from here? How do we get to baseballism? Let's talk about that. Sure. So when I graduated, well, actually, when I was at the University of Oregon, uh, Travis Chalk, a fellow uh, teammate, uh, and I started a a baseball camp uh, with the help of uh, Jonathan Loomis and Kalen Goodman. And uh, we called the camp uh, baseballism. And this was kind of a a summer baseball camp. We knew that Eugene was a town of a town of football, especially with no division one baseball team. And so we wanted to instill the values that we learned <clears throat> from our coaches and our playing experience uh, to a youth camp. And so the camp was born. Uh, but, but when we graduated, the camp had to end. Um, we got a lot of attention for our shirts and the camp was really, really fun. We tried to do things different. We had a bullhorn out there. We were announcing each kid mm-hmm. and their nickname, uh, you know, when they were up to bat, which was really special for them. So we tried to be different. But then it was, then we graduated and it was time to go pay the bills and, and get a real job. And so I, I took the skills that I learned uh, being club baseball coordinator and I went to work for Ringer Baseball and Softball. Um, they do cleated footwear and apparel. And so I was working with collegiate teams and travel baseball and softball teams mm-hmm. all around the country and uh, did that for five years. Uh, but then baseballism really started to take off. And uh, it was time to transition and go full time at baseballism. Mm-hmm. So, this camp is what set you guys up for the future. I, before we really get into the current baseballs, let's talk about the former baseballism as a camp because I really want to know a little bit more about about this. So, was it your your drive for youth development? continue to support um and just was it about volunteerism at that point for you of wanting to help you know these kids be better at baseball we really wanted to bring we really wanted to change the base the youth baseball culture in eugene Mm -hmm. uh travis had been uh, helping coach at uh, south eugene high school and it just felt like we could do more and so we wanted to create um not only a a technical camp, but a fun camp because we wanted to grow the game of baseball. That was really uh, how baseball is on the camp was born. Mm-hmm. And what are some things that you guys worked on just generally speaking? Yeah. So, uh, we tried to create fun drills. We, um, 
had some uh, pretty unique fast hand double play drills for our middle infielders. Uh, we, we, like I mentioned, we use a, used a bullhorn to announce each, each player. Mm-hmm. So if you're eight years old and you're walking up to the plate and you're in a regular camp or a regular park, you're just walking up to the plate and you're going to go hit. We had a kid named uh, Double Bill Ibanez because he always wore an Ibanez jersey mm-hmm. and he would wear his helmet with his baseball hat underneath with a lot of space between the two bills. So his nickname was Double Bill Ibanez, right? <laughs> and we still we still talk about that. But if he's going up to bat, we have this megaphone. And for the first time, he's he's hearing now batting for the baseballism boosters or I think it was like the baseballism badgers. Uh, the shortstop, number six, double Billy Banez. And this, you could just see these kids there, their face would just glow. And it was, it was fun. It mm-hmm. was fun. And so we really tried to be creative and really tried to enhance the experience. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was good. Um, what was that like for you personally, when you see these kids' faces light up and they're just like, wow, you know, my name's being announced or at the end of the day, you know, hey, coach, you know, thanks for, you know, what you've done or the parents, like, just coming up to you. How did that make you feel? What was what was the, the thing that kind of be like, all right, this is this is for real. This is, this is what makes it, you know, worthy. You know, seeing those kids' faces uh, gave me energy. It made me feel like we had purpose. Uh, and it was really, really inspiring. Mm-hmm. I, I still love coaching. I love, I love getting out there. I love helping kids. They're so hungry to learn. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's a blank template yeah. and you're helping form who they are. Just like, just like the coaches that we talked about last episode helped form me. Mm-hmm. And so I can think about those experiences. And when I can see an eight, nine, 10 year old kid light up, uh, it really fueled me. Yeah. So you have all this, you're, transitioning now into baseballism because everything that I read and the people I've talked to are like, okay, yeah, it's the, the logo is what we're moving on because a lot of people were liking that. It's just how popular was it really? Like it was, it was really popular. So we designed a camp t-shirt that had the baseballism classic logo, which is baseballism spelled out and a drop bat for the eye. Mm -hmm. And in small print, it said, um, Eugene Youth Baseball Camp, but baseballism was front and center. And so we would be walking around bars two blocks from here, post-college on Northwest 23rd in Portland, and people would say, where'd you get that shirt? Baseballism, that's really cool. And you would say, oh, it was a camp that we ran in college. Man, that shirt, that shirt's really cool. I really mm-hmm. like I really like the way it looks, and I like what it stands for. And so that really evolved into maybe we should – Maybe we should make these shirts. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do a Kickstarter. Um, so Travis decided that, hey, I'm going to make 48 of these shirts. And he was teaching lessons over in Beaverton at the Yard Baseball Academy. And I'm going to sell these shirts. And so printed them, and they sold out in a week. And then we kind of rallied the troops and said, I think this concept of just for the love of the game, apparel is out there. And so we launched this whole concept on for the love of the game apparel, the, the profits from that apparel are going to fund baseball camps around the country because mm-hmm. we still loved doing camps. We soon realized that the business model around camps around the country was a little tough mm-hmm. and flying around and doing camps. There, there were too many variable costs to consider. Yeah. And so we then focused on let's build a brand that's so strong and authentic. And then let's get back 
into the game of baseball. And so we launched the Kickstarter and the Kickstarter was successful. And then baseballism was really a moonlight. Well, I was at Ringer. It was just, we would, I would get off work. I'd go over to Travis's garage. We would be shipping, shipping shirts, you know, three, four, five orders a day, maybe, um, ironing each shirt before it went out. I mean, it was, yeah, it was next level. If you walked into his 10 by 10 garage in Beaverton, it was the inventory on the sides, the wood backdrop we used for photo shoots, the shipping table six feet behind that so the camera didn't get it when we were taking photos. <laughs> it was a zoo. It was a complete zoo. Who taught you on iron? My mom. Oh, man. All my <laughs> domestic skills. Not my dad's great, but my mom. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking about like you're ironing all these shirts. Yeah. I was like, who taught you on iron? Yeah, mom. My mom taught me on iron. <laughs> yeah, for too. sure. For sure. <laughs> um, so, is that what baseballism really means? Is you know, giving back, youth development, being a part of something bigger than you. Is that what that means to you? It encompasses all of those things. Baseballism is this, this idea and this concept around the love of the game and what the game did for us as youth and how we can protect those principles and show the world how great baseball can be. That's our mission statement. How can we show everybody why baseball matters, how it can positively impact a whole host of people, whether you're playing, whether you're watching, whether you're supporting. That's that's our mission statement. Mm-hmm. Show the world how great baseball can be. So beyond the shirt, what was your first kind of general thing that you guys were started working on beside the t-shirts and stuff with just the baseball as a logo? What was that first other apparel that you started putting out? We had to create the logo, mm-hmm. not the word mark. We had the word mark, which was baseballism with the drop bat, but the logo. And I can remember meeting at the O'Connor's restaurant in uh, Multnomah Village with uh, Jonathan Loomis, Kaylin Goodman, Travis Chalk, and myself. Mm-hmm. And, we, and it was, it seemed like we were going to settle on a crest. And that just was so hard for me. I did not want a crest. It felt too traditional, it felt too old. And I pulled out a picture of Babe Ruth swinging, I think it was you know, in 1927, and I showed it. I was like, this should be our logo. Mm-hmm. This is so iconic, that Ruth swing. Everybody knows this swing. And we left that meeting, and Travis went home, self-taught graphic designer, took the bat, you know, redrew, redrew Babe Ruth in that picture, mm-hmm. took the bat out of his hand and put in the American flag. And I can remember him sending that out in a, in a text message. And I thought, this is absolutely perfect. Icon meets icon. It is. It's this perfect marriage of baseball and Americana. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just so iconic. And uh, that's, that's how the flag name was born. And I love the story about being about Babe Ruth and knowing him. Let me just ask you this from a side part. Do you think non-baseball people, or maybe even some now, maybe some of the youth now, don't really know who Babe Ruth is or just kind of like losing that recognition of it or am I just wrong? You're not wrong. I believe humbly that baseballism is doing a lot to help the youth remember Babe Ruth. We're not a Babe Ruth brand, but Mm -hmm. he was so iconic to the game. And that logo standalone, if you don't know who Babe Ruth is, it's it's still got this aura 
He's a great Bambino. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it's, still a ba- it's still an iconic baseball swing with a flag. Mm-hmm. And so you can marry that. When you see that, the word mark next to the logo, it, it makes complete sense. I mean, for me, it's learning about calling the shot and then following through Absolutely. on it yeah. to be and being the home run leader for many years until Hank Aaron and then, you know, Barry Bonds. Yep. Um, if, if you were to redesign it today, just hypothetically here, would you, who would you consider if you were to consider another player in Babe Ruth's place for recognition wise? wouldn't change it unless you really forced me to. Mm-hmm. It's so tough because his swing was so iconic. Yeah. That big fall over the front side, ripping everything to right field swing. Mm-hmm. It just has a look, you know, chin up. Uh, you know, Ted Williams had an iconic yeah. swing. Ichiro has like the, the bat rays. Um, we created a graphic that we didn't end up selling mm-hmm. uh, because we don't have the rights to sell Ichiro. But his preparation in the box is very iconic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. had an iconic swing, but that swing man is owned by Nike. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't change it. I mean, that's one of the things in my mind. That is that is what that is what we are. Yeah, I know. Like for for me, growing up, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. just standing straight up mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. rocking the bat. Yep. I think the only other person that I remember at the time that rocked the bat more than him was Gary Sheffield. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, he would like. It's like <laughs> it's dangerous with it. It's dangerous. Like, was. What is it? Tremendous, Tra- tremendous bat speed. Yeah. I, mean, I was like, was he out there trying to hit gnats away or something? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's a it's an amazing logo and, and I look at it, I know a lot of other people like now it's last thing. That's that's Babe Ruth, isn't it? And then like, yeah, that is. And so um, you know, you, you you've got a licensing with the Ruth family, is yes. my understanding. So, yes. And we've uh developed a really good relationship with the Ruth family. Uh, he's, I'm pretty good friends with his grandson um, and they come to Cooperstown and they're always so thankful that uh, they're so thankful um, that we use him as a mark mm-hmm. and uh, just the nicest, nicest people. And I know, I know I'm jumping kind of forward here, but you know, you've, you, like you said, you've done stuff with the Ted Williams, for Ted Williams and you do the 406 because of his batting average and finishing the 406. You've now released the Roberto Clemente collection, which I really enjoy. I feel like it's great. And you're, you're continuing to work on building these relationships with players, families. Tell us a little bit about, about how you go about building those relationships. Cause it's like, you just don't make them. But my understanding is that you've, you put, especially with the Ruth one, you got reached out to regard with like some people with lawyers and mm-hmm. so on. So, have you what have you learned from that, and how do you build those relationships? Well, when we created the uh, Ruth, the you know, flagman logo, we were still really small, and so to go out and try to get licensing was just not in our DNA yet. Mm-hmm. Now we've taken taken a stand that every single if we're going to use someone's likeness in any way, we're going to get it, we're going to get licensed. Um, it's just better. All the rules, right? Yeah. And sometimes you, can, you know, when you're a little smaller, you can you can go wild, wild west. But now it's just not an option for us. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we're just dealing with a licensing company, right? If we're just if we're um, dealing with um, a, a movie company, NBC Universal, uh, if we're going for Field of Dreams or or um, you know who 
who's representing uh, Ted, Ted Williams and the Ted Williams family. It's not it's not always as cut and dry as now we have a relationship with the family. Uh, the two relationships that we have with the families uh, are Roberto Clemente and, uh, and Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. And those families are great. And that Roberto Clemente line means so much to me and means so much to us because he's not celebrated enough. He's not. He's not. And I've got some pretty good relationships that I've formed with um, people that live in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And he's so much bigger than Puerto Rico, but it's so nice to have that connection between baseballs. And Puerto he means Rico. a lot to Puerto Rico because I remember I was there after um, the hurricanes and I went there for disaster relief. And, you know, Roberto Clemente was big and popular. They had the big stadium there, the Roberto Clemente Park, and it was just amazing and what he meant. He means to that island and, and those people there. So it's everything. It's, it's everything. It's amazing. It's so let's 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 kind of move forward a little bit. You know, you're in the garage of one of the owners. You're ironing shirts. When do you realize like, hey, this is beginning to be a little bit bigger than where we're at right now. We need to move into a bigger space. At what point did you realize that and kind of where did that start? Travis started getting letters from the HOA um, because we were leaving pallets out in front of his garage door. <laughs> so at that point we were like, okay, this we have outgrown this 10 by 10 or 10 by 15 garage. It's time to go get some space. Mm-hmm. So this is in 2013. Uh, and then we, we, we decided to take some, you know, 1200 square feet in North Portland in this mm-hmm. new mixed use building. Um, so we leased the space and then Travis, uh, buys a condo above it. So it's a real close kind of wow. a real, a real callback to a hundred years ago when you own the shop downstairs and you live mm-hmm. downstairs. Uh, and so we took 1200 square feet there. And by that point, uh, we had hundreds of, uh, hundreds of thousands of social media followers. So we were really starting to gain momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was able to transition away from Ringer and then go full-time with baseballs. So no longer a moonlight. And I was I was the first founder to do it. Um, and each founder did it at their own uh, cadence. And anytime a founder quit their job and started going full-time at baseballism, we were up and to the right. Just that focus um, really paid dividends. Mm-hmm. And so we had the space in North Portland. We had a showroom. We had a 200 square foot uh, warehouse. Uh, we were shipping orders out of there. We were fielding customers coming in. It felt real. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew that if we wanted to continue to separate ourselves, that retail was the answer. Because anybody can start a website. Anybody can sell shirts on Teespring, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you create brand equity and how do you kind of smoke out the competition? Well, it's it's just more doors. It's getting in front of more people. Yeah. So we decided that Cooperstown, even though it was 3,000 miles away, would be the best place to start. And wow. A lot of people thought we were crazy. But Travis had coached a, tra- uh, um, a travel ball team, and they had gone to Cooperstown. And you go to Cooperstown, and the Baseball Hall of Fame is there, and it's great. It's wonderful. But there are 50 fields. There's 27 um, at Dreams Park, and there's another 14 at All-Star Village. And it is the 12U baseball mecca you think that williamsport is the mecca it is but for travel ball it's cooperstown and these families come and they fly into cooperstown and there's only the the city is only three blocks long and so you've got this captive affluent baseball market 
or I'm sorry, yeah, market families coming, and there's no high not high end or design forward apparel to be had on mm-hmm. this main street, and the, the rent was not expensive. And so we flew out there. We flew out to Cooperstown, found a spot, but fought over how much we were going to spend on the build out, which is normal. And we, that's every day. Yeah, and built this store, and so and we hired uh, Ben Atkinson, who has since he's our first full-time hire and it's since been promoted and worked at a few different stores. And now he manages the whole retail fleet. Uh, but Cooperstown was our first real retail only door. Uh, and it continues to be our best location today. Was that like Christmas day for you guys? We're opening in our first storefront and you know, this we're in Cooperstown yeah. of all places. I can remember Getting to Cooperstown late at night, it's so hard to get to Cooperstown. If you've ever gone, you got to fly to Chicago and then go to Albany, and you'll probably get delayed. And then when you get to Albany, you got to drive, drive for two hours. It's horrible. But I can remember getting there one o'clock in the morning, and we had a key, and the build out was pretty much done. It just needed to be merchandised. And I was with, it was just Travis and I. And we were just sitting on the floor, looking at this store and thinking, man, this is ours. We are in Cooperstown. A double day field is right behind us. And we've created this brand that we're going to be able to show all these travel baseball families. Hmm. So that moment, that was Christmas. Yeah. That was Christmas. It's just sitting there and yeah. realizing. Soaking it in. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of a, I don't know if you ever watched it, the end, the last scene at Cheers when they're kind of sitting there at the, at the bar, Ted Danson's character is sitting there and he's looking around and it's like, wow, there's all these memories here, but just kind of soaking it in and the reality of like, this is like my next step in life. So you, you have there and then, so Cooperstown's going really well. Um, what point and how long after that did you like, okay, we're going to open another location. And where was that location at? So unlike a lot of businesses, uh, we weren't seeking funding. So everything that we did, we were using profits you know, we weren't taking out major debt. We were trying to be very responsible. And so we had a modest growth plan of one store per year. And so in 14, we opened Cooperstown. In 15, we opened Lake Point, which uh, is a container store in Emerson, Georgia, at the um, Perfect Game Complex, now PBR. 2016, we decided to open another brick-and-mortar store, and that was in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And Scottsdale, for those that don't know, is really the nucleus of the Cactus League. When most families go, uh, they stay in Scottsdale, and uh, the shopping there is very vibrant. The Giants are there. Um, Mesa is very close. All all the fields are very close to Scottsdale. For people that don't know, this is spring ball. Spring training. Spring training. Yeah. Spring training. Absolutely. So, same thing. Flew to Scottsdale. Looked at the market. I'm, I'm really starting to get a, a, a knack for retail at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I could walk the streets and understand what was good, what was not good. Um, and I, you know, I ended up saying that I, I would only consider a retail store if it was on Brown or Main in Old Town mm-hmm. and, uh, got the opportunity, found this small little 900 square foot space and, uh, opened that door and it turned out to be great. I mean, March is crazy for us in Scottsdale. And then it's now built into, it's not just March. We've, we've now been there for three or four years and people expect us to be there. And it's now it's part of people's, uh, spring training tradition. Mm-hmm. which is great. And you see the same faces, they come in and they glow. It's just like that double Billy Banyas, right? In a different way. Um, so now we're starting to understand that retail is profitable. Now, online's still going crazy, 
Yeah. But retail, it's not only profitable, but we're separating ourselves from the competition. Mm-hmm. And so then we went and opened Atlanta, the new SunTrust Park. And SunTrust Park is this, for those that don't know, is this new mixed-use development where it's not just a baseball field, but the Braves built the baseball field and pretty much a city right next to it. And so owners, were owners as they are, uh, wanted to capture revenue before and after the game. They thought, we're, we're, we're the reason people are going out. Why can't we get their dinner? And why can't we get their post-game drinks and shopping? Mm-hmm. And so we opened up in Atlanta in 2017. Um, and that model was was great for us. And we were really big in Georgia. And 2018 was the big year for us. We opened four stores uh, in one year, which was very challenging financially, mentally, families, you know, a lot of time on airplanes, 33 trips on airplanes. So uh, we opened San Francisco, Boston, Arlington, and Chicago. So now we're in the shadow of three major, major markets, major, yeah, major building markets, expensive baseball um, history, a lot of baseball history. I think of those four locations, really those two locations in, in really in Fenway in being our uh, pillars of authenticity. Mm-hmm. If you had never heard of baseballism and you and I got in an elevator and I told you I own an apparel brand with retail stores behind the monster and across from Wrigley, we're instantly authentic. Yeah. Right. And so we think of those stadium locations as our, our pillars of authenticity. Cause if you know, baseball historical, you know, Wrigley field, yep. Fenway, yep. are some of the oldest remaining ballparks in baseball today. They are, they are the oldest and you yeah. don't, um, you don't have to know baseball to know those names, No, you know, and that's what, that's what makes those special. So now we're, since we're talking about locations, um, one of the things I was really interested is your pop-up locations. Um, does, is it more advantageous to baseballs and to have pop-up locations as opposed to like a storefront or creating these pop-up locations in the new market areas in part to lack of space? Like, and, and I'm going to throw this out there, like in Corvallis or, in Las Vegas. So let's talk a little bit about these pop-up locations. Is it more advantageous to baseball and to have these temporary pop-up locations at these stadiums that's inside as opposed to outside not having the storefront or is it just lack of space at these areas? The pop-up locations, it's not one or the other. It's they're uh, a piece, a piece to the strategy. How can we get, how can we show the world how great baseball can be? Right. Mm -hmm. And so they have to, when we consider pop-ups, they have to be big brand moves in places that we're going to have big impact. The College World Series, for example, when you go to the College World Series, it's in the same city every year. Omaha. It's Omaha, yeah. right? And, and if you walked into a college baseball locker room, chances are Omaha's written somewhere. Mm-hmm. And those players are touching it, right? Yeah. To keep them reminded, to, to remind them how important yeah. it is. When you go to Omaha for the College World Series, what you see is TD Ameritrade. It's a beautiful park, beautiful park. And then you see really the only place, the only time a year where every single baseball vendor, for the most part, is in one spot. No other no other time and place. It's College World Series. Hmm. And it's just a sea of white tents because people are doing temporary pop-ups. We always like to do things different. We always like to stand out. And so for Omaha... For the first few years, we built our stores um, out of pallets because it's that it's you go and you're walking through the sea of white tents and then you see this pallet fortress. You're like, what is this? And then you've got that wood story, right? We use wood and leather in our makeup because those are baseball things. 
Then we soon pivoted to a container store where we refurbished a, a shipping container, an ocean shipping container into a retail store. And now we anchor the North corner for the College World Series. Uh, and it's great. It's just, we're looking for big brand experience. How can baseball not only be authentic, but be different? Mm -hmm. When we think about a pop-up and, and we think about an experience store, our lens is what will people remember and what will people take a picture of and what yeah. will people share, right? So when you look at Goss, Oregon State, we did a kiosk with them. That was a unique experience because they had a mark in Benny the Beaver that that fan base still craved and they weren't using anymore. Yeah. So we were able to license that. And for some reason, Oregon State doesn't have a team store in the stadium, in Goss. So it was kind of this perfect marriage of those baseball fans don't have anywhere to go to shop. Mm -hmm. Baseballism has the ability to recreate the Benny logo in a really fun way. Yeah. Um, and so... And so that, that was why Goss was born. So pop-ups are, in, in our strategy, how can we make big brand impact? And how can we make our fans remember that we were there? Okay. You, you talk about kiosk, and that's part of my next question. Sure. Are we just seeing the beginning of these locations, like those currently placed, like you said, in Corvallis, uh, home of Oregon State University, and also in Las Vegas, the home of the Avatars, the AAA affiliate, I believe, of the Oakland Athletics. Are we just seeing the beginning of these locations? We're not. We're actually working on um, enhancing uh, some of those experiences. So in regards to Las Vegas, the Aviators are number one in attendance in minor league baseball. They just built a new ballpark, so it's new and exciting. And this year we tested a kiosk in the outfield, and it did pretty well. But I, I flew, got on an airplane and met with their head of retail and we walked the stadium. And on the first base concourse, there's this open area. And I pitched to him, hey, can we bring a bigger uh, container store here and just be open year round and uh, occupy first base? And so we're negotiating through that. But you'll see uh, we're developing a mobile store right now of like a 48-foot enclosed car trailer converted oh, into no a baseball. Way. Yeah, a baseball, baseball's in store. And so it's not green lighted yet. It's still in concept, but imagine just an F three fifty rolling down I five wow. uh, with this 48 foot baseballism store. And then when it drops, it lowers the roof comes out, the floor comes out and it's this baseballism brand experience. The only thing flashing through my mind right now is college game day. It's oh, like, yeah. where are you going to be at? Yeah. 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 So we're trying to work through that business model now, but there's a lot of places that we just want to go, mm -hmm. but because we want to be unique, because we want it to be an enhanced brand experience, it's got to have ROI. And yeah. so return on investment. So we yeah. just, we just, uh, I think a mobile store is, is in our future. Talking about places to go. Cause I want to also know about this minor league baseball. Cause the avatars are your first minor league team that you're going to, um, many baseball locations happen to be at or, close to major league ballparks like we talked about fenway chicago san francisco and arlington and uh you know and then you have this the spring paul spring ball spring training. Yep. spring training are we seeing a new push to be at or near minor league ballparks because like i said as you know the avatars in las vegas i would say that our strategy now that we have those pillars of authenticity with those big ballparks minor league baseball is an option for us but from a retail standpoint we're really starting to target um, nice shopping centers in markets that we succeed at online mm -hmm. houston 
Orlando, another one in Southern. We just did this Irvine opening, um, and that is not my ballpark. It is yeah. not next to Angel Stadium. Those are some nice hats, by the way. Oh yeah, they turned out. They turned, <laughs> they turned out pretty out, good. Really? They that, turned out pretty good. That blue one. Oh yeah, phenomenal. Oh, and they're they're flying off the shelf. And so to plant our flag in Southern California like that, and have it be, you know, we're next to Nordstrom. This is shopping. Where is baseball mom going mm-hmm. two or three times a month? That's where we want to be. Yeah. And so those are the, those, so the, the, we're targeting, we're targeting baseball rich year round travel ball communities and markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, that's really going to be our retail approach now that, because not that the stadium models bad at all, but we, we have the good, we have good stadiums. Yeah. Um, and so we won't turn a blind eye to them, but in terms of our next three years, we're, we're going more of the Irvine. Mm-hmm. You, in the last year, I know you had a quick pop-up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yes, we with did. the hat. I absolutely love that hat, to be honest with you. And I know you guys came out with a camo version of it. But are you are you anticipating maybe having, at some point, um, a store in Hawaii? Because that seems to have gone over pretty well. I mean, looking at the pictures online and nuts. how quickly it flew off. It was, it was absolutely nuts. I mean, we took 20 feet of wall in a barber shop in the Alamoana Shopping Center. I would rate it as a D location. It wasn't even in the malls, like facing the parking lot. And when we got there for the for the the pop up, the two day pop up, the line was incredible. So that, coupled with the fact that Travis is from Hawaii, mm-hmm. I would say uh, wouldn't be surprised if we had a retail presence in Hawaii in the next three years, okay. three to five. Let's let's jump into the America's brand portion of baseballism. Every company's goal is to have the best quality product in their respective field. Explain what baseballism does achieve this goal and what it means to be, to you to be America's brand. Everybody uses the term quality or premium, and we think about those things when we make product. We want it to last. We want it to look good. You know, where baseball meets style, we use that. But really, when you see our apparel brand, or when you see our apparel in our products, and you see the brand message, we want people to see authentic. Mm-hmm. We want the consumer to say, walk in the door and, and feel like, wow, the, this, this brand gets it. Design forward, woven with this baseball language and this baseball emotion. That's exactly what we're trying to shoot for. People walk through our store or they visit our website. America's brand is such a strong term. And when we were developing our brand strategy, we wanted to have, we wanted to create these strong messages so we could believe this authenticity. Baseball is America's game. Although it's super popular internationally in Japan and Korea and Taipei, and I celebrate all of those countries. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Baseball around the world, in my opinion, is, is great. But baseball baseball is a, it's America's game. And you know, we talk about we talked in the beginning about what baseballism does to protect the game and to make sure that the honor and the class and the tradition are protected. All of those were born in, in the United States. And that's why we're America's brand. That's mm-hmm. why that's why Babe Ruth is holding the American flag. Yeah. Um we're all patriots. Uh, we all celebrate other countries, but uh, yeah, America's brand is a term that we use. You talk about. You've talked a lot about 
continuing on, celebrating it, keeping it going, keeping it active, keeping it going. But you actually take an important role in the local community with um, a group called Friends of Baseball. I know either you're on your board, but you're on the board. Baseballism does a lot to support Friends of Baseball and their efforts to help inner city youth get the equipment that they need, these children that they need to play. Because it's become a pay-to-play sport in a way. If you want to play, as you talked about earlier, you can't just go pick up a go and pick up a bat or whatever. You have to get more equipment, unlike basketball, where you just go get basketball, soccer, you get soccer ball, baseball balls, get it glove, get some cleats, so on. So, one, what does it mean to you to be affiliated with Friends of Baseball and these types of programs, not just as a board member, but also as a a company who is supporting it? Friends of Baseball does really, really meaningful work. They're using baseball as a driver to really motivate and educate kids. And they're introducing the sport to kids that would not they're offering them the resources to play the game. In a simple way, you know, one of, one of their um, initiatives is putting baseball back in schools. Yeah. When I went to school, I didn't, play I didn't there was no baseball in my school. Although it was, baseball was more vibrant and there were more little league teams, there was not baseball in my school. And they're, they're giving it to kids that absolutely need it. They need structure. They need, they need to feel that support and they need to, understand what the game can do for them, not just in the game, but in life. And so <clears throat> I was honored to be asked uh, to serve on the board of Friends of Baseball. And they're doing very meaningful work. The Portland Diamond Project, who you're very familiar with, has chosen uh, Friends of Baseball to be the beneficiary of a majority of their apparel sales. And so Friends of Baseball, um, because of my relationship with uh, the Portland Diamond Project, I'm the uh, liaison between Friends of Baseball. So as they continue to develop new apparel, as they continue to support our programs, uh, I'm working with them to ensure that they have a stake in the community. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants Major League Baseball to Portland, but that just that goes beyond just baseball. It goes it it means that if we have a team here, they've got to support the community, yeah. and they have to enhance the, the lives of these kids. Friends of Baseball is doing that right now. I'm glad you bring up Major League Baseball to Portland because I want to talk. About- you know, as our as we close out you know, this episode and our interview with you, I want to talk about MLB to PX and that push to bring professional baseball to Portland. What is it that you think is different this time with the drive, the push, the momentum that they have, as opposed to the previous effort back in the early two thousands with the the now Washington Nationals or the Montreal Expos at the time. When I first heard the round two of this effort, I kind of rolled my eyes. I just, because the first effort, it wasn't, it wasn't poorly put together, but it just wasn't as robust. This effort by Craig Cheek is, is very robust. They've got all the right partners to make it happen. Mm -hmm. The infrastructure is here. Um, They're, they're using Populous, which is, architecture firm that Major League Baseball is very comfortable with because they built a lot of Major League ballparks. They have the right lobbyists. They have the right momentum. The, the momentum right now is 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 remarkable. Mm-hmm. And the city uh, seems to support it more than it ever has. And so I think that to answer your question, the difference is better momentum 
a different city a decade later uh, in a very, very robust team. Where are you sitting, money aside, where are you sitting opening day if you could pick anywhere on the in the field? Where are you sitting? I went to a Padres game about three months ago. And I, I, I sit in a lot of good seats. I mean, I've been in the Cardinals uh, owner suite with them. And, you know, I've, I've sat about, about everywhere in the ballpark. It's a perk of this job, which is really great. Not mm-hmm. lost on me. But I was able to sit next to the dugout at the Padres game on the first base side, obviously, but in the front row, right behind the press. And so when I looked straight, when I looked straight ahead, it was first base. When I looked to my left, it's inside the dugout. So mm-hmm. I'm like in the dugout. I'm watching Machado dance. Yeah. That, those sitting right next to the dugout and to be able to see that, that team camaraderie, uh, that's, that's the best place to sit. So I would target that. I'm happy to sit anywhere. To mm-hmm. answer your question, I don't care. Put me in the lawn. I, I just, yeah. if we have major league baseball in Portland, where I sit doesn't matter. What is it going to mean to be you to bring your child to the game and just be able to like talk about it, explain these different things outside of your coaching, because you do coach your, your mm-hmm. child. What does it mean? What would it mean to you to be able to just to be like, talk about the game with them, sit there, home team, and root on that team with your child? It's every dad's dream. And it's something I didn't experience with my parents. You know, we didn't have a team here. It was so strange for me to go being born and raised in Portland and just going to Eugene for college, Albany and Eugene. And then go to a city that has baseball and to walk by bars and see it on TV. It's just, it's, it, it, that's one of the things that, that we're missing here in this city is this baseball culture. Mm-hmm. We have it fragmented, but we can't, we celebrate around the trailblazers, but how fun would it be to celebrate around a baseball team? It wouldn't mean the world to me if I could take my son to the game and we could have that routine mm-hmm. and he can, you learn so much by watching the game of baseball and you can only see so much on TV. Yeah. And so to answer your question, it would mean everything. Yeah. I really do look forward to bringing my, my two sons to a game and just sitting there talking to them about the game, talking about the different players, where they come from. I mean, it's, it's such a, just like basketball and just like soccer and other sports is so diverse and where people come from and their stories behind those particular individuals and or maybe they're from cuba and they just came here and they're playing or they were phenomenal in japan and like in ichiro and just coming back over you know and just with his retirement this year and i know that this is going to come out a couple weeks but felix hernandez retiring the other night from seattle and pitching his final game there it's just amazing. And I, I really want to see that rivalry between Seattle and Portland, Portland and San Francisco or Portland, Oakland, whatever it is. You've got the, the old PI, you know, the Portland, the Pacific Coast League. Yeah. And I, I can't wait to have that because of hearing such of the, the history. And I'm looking forward to going some of the guys that used to maybe have played in the game. Some of the former people, the, you know, friends of the podcast, like, Rob Nelson, former Portland Maverick, maybe Larry Colton, former Portland Maverick, maybe Jack Dunn, historic, knowledgeable baseball guy in the area. I'll leave you with this one final question. If you could take any 
figure in baseball here in Oregon to a game and just want to pick their brain and see how they dissect it, who would you take and why? I, th- I think Jack Dunn would be really great. Yeah. I haven't talked to him enough about the game specifically, but he would be, he would be really fun. I really respect Mike Clopton, uh, former coach at Wilson. Mm-hmm. We've become really good friends and I, I've coached against him, but it would be really fun to, to dissect the game with him. I, th- I think Jack Dunn would be very fun. Awesome. Well, um, I just want to give you the final minute or so of the podcast to just tell people a little bit about where they can go, um, where they can find you, and uh, just anything else you want to bring up. Yeah, sure. So baseballism prides itself on social media. So any at baseballism on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, whatever you're comfortable with. We just opened a new location in downtown Portland across from Director Park on 9th and Yam Hill. The number one question when people walk into our Quimby location, if they've not heard of baseballism, is, oh, is this your only location? And so Director Park, the whole narrative of Director Park is baseballism is a national brand. And so we built everything out of uh, shipping crates and then stenciled, personally, uh, ship to baseballism Chicago, ship to baseballism uh, Arlington. And we've got a big map all built out of cardboard because it's really the shipping theme on the right side when you walk in. It's a pretty powerful branding moment. So come visit us there. We're really excited to have that location. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Excellent. Well, Jonathan, I, I really appreciate you taking this week and last week to sit down and talk and taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it means a lot to me, but I know that you, you got a lot going on. I mean, playoffs are coming up, so you got a lot going on there. Planning for the you know those Christmas and even into next year with spring training. So I very much appreciate your time and uh, your knowledge that you've shared with us the last couple of weeks. So thank you so much. It's an honor. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Diamonds of Rose podcast. I hope you've enjoyed these last two weeks with Jonathan. Again, if you haven't done it so yet, baseballism, go visit a location, uh, go to baseballism.com. They got some great apparel. I tell you, myself, I've gotten over like 16 hats for baseballism phenomenal my wallet hurts but i love it um they got some great product and apparel so go check them out baseballism.com check them out on twitter instagram as jonathan said uh, so you have yourself a great day wherever you're at we appreciate you listening review rate whatever you want to do uh, and if you're having a great day we're having a great day too we love baseball and take care peace out